Well, brothers and sisters, hear the words again of our Lord. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that we are servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are God's people, if you have love for one another. What a high calling that is. We're here right now, I trust, because we're his disciples, because we want to serve Jesus, so we better know what it is to love. You know as well as I do that our world is very confused about what love is. Something we talk about, something we think about, something our culture is obsessed about. But what does the world mean when they talk about love? It's a word that is used to describe a vast array of things. And let me see if this is a helpful illustration. Perhaps you've heard this before. Have you ever heard that the Eskimo people have 50 different words for snow. This people group whose life is so dominated by winter and snow has developed their language to the point that they can be very clear and specific in what kind of snow they're communicating. Now, I actually looked this up. I heard this a number of times. I looked it up to see if it was true, and it is. In fact, there's other cultures, other people groups, with literally hundreds of words that they use to describe different types of snow. We've basically done the opposite with love. We've taken a bunch of different things that it could be describing and shoved it into one word. So there's a lack of clarity and a lot of confusion about it. The majority of the time that the world speaks of love, they're talking about the physical body. They're talking about romance. They're talking about sex. But there's also love between friends. There's also the love that's between siblings or a parent to a child. We're, this morning, going to be focused on one specific type of love, one aspect of love. One of the four loves that you might be familiar, C.S. Lewis talked about in his book, The Four Loves. The Greeks had four words for love. Now, this book, The Four Loves, has many detractors and has many devoted followers. I'm going to try and not be either of those, but to just point out and to discuss, we're not going to be talking about all four of these different aspects of love this morning. We won't be talking about storge, or what we might call affection, like what is between siblings or a parent to child. We won't be talking about phileo, which is the love between friends. And we won't be talking about eros, which is the love of romance. We're going to be focused this morning on the highest of loves. We'll be focused this morning on agape. It's a word I'm sure you've heard before many times. It used to be translated charity, but of course that word has other connotations nowadays. I'm going to be using the words love and agape this morning almost interchangeably, because that's how John recorded the words of our Lord here in John 13. When it talks of love, the word there is agape. So again, hear the words of our Lord and join with me this morning as we consider what this looks like. What exactly is it we must do if we are to, if people are to know that we follow Jesus? What should the fly on the wall see? And why does Jesus say that this is a new commandment? We just read 
We've read multiple times this morning. Jesus' summary in Matthew 20, we've read out, of, read out of Deuteronomy, we've read out of Leviticus, that we have this command to love our neighbor as ourselves. So what is new about this commandment that Jesus gives here? If we want to understand it, we need to build to it. And so first, I want to talk about what you might call the old commandment, because what we might call old in this context is not unimportant. In fact, I'll argue it's the foundation upon which this new commandment is built. And as we uncover this foundation of the old commandment and consider agape, from this perspective we'll see first that love, that agape, is the fulfillment of God's law. Second, that agape means considering another person as more important than yourself. And finally, with that foundation uncovered, we can see this new commandment built upon it. That if we are to serve our Lord, we must love as he did, by sacrificing and giving ourselves to our brothers and sisters within the church. These are deep and important things, so let's jump in. So, brothers and sisters, the first thing we need to see is that love is actually a fulfillment of the law of God. In fact, John simply says that it is love to walk according to God's commandments. That's what he says in 2 John. So what does it mean to fulfill the law? I would not be surprised if this was not a definition you've ever heard before, that you would ever give for love, because in our minds, love is an emotion. It's a feeling. Perhaps it's a state of being. But... Typically, and again in the world, we don't equate love with obedience to the law. But listen briefly to what Paul says in Romans chapter 13 about the law. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul is basically stating what Jesus said, as we read earlier during the reading of the law. Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And remember that last phrase. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus and Paul might use slightly different language, but they're saying really the same thing, which is no surprise because the testimony of Scripture is clear and consistent. The law can be summarized by and fulfilled by love. Brothers and sisters, before I go any further, stop and consider, do you see this connection? I'm convinced that the world does not. What we hear about today that is called love is all about me. Again, it's about how I feel and getting what I want. But from the start, the biblical definition of love is about how you treat someone else. It's about how you act. To love another person is to treat them well, to treat them correctly, to treat them according to God's law. At this first most foundational level of our understanding of agape, the emphasis is decidedly not on how you feel. The emphasis is not on what you want. You love another person when you treat them lawfully. 
You love another person when you do not steal from them. You love your spouse when you do not commit adultery. You love your neighbor when you do not murder them or hate them or covet their belongings. No matter how much you may be tempted to do any of those things, you are acting in love when you resist temptation and obey God's commandments. If this sounds silly or needlessly simple, consider this. Consider the husband who leaves their wife because they're in love with another woman. We live in the era of the self, where my feelings and my contentment and my satisfaction are all that matters, and where it is loving to affirm people in their actions and their feelings. Ask that abandoned wife if she feels loved. To love is to obey God's word and fulfill the law. To do wrong to your neighbor is to violate the law. But love does no wrong to your neighbor, so it fulfills the law. At its base, most foundational level, we must consider what is good and true, what God reveals about himself, and how we live in obedience to him, so therefore we must be students of his law. Again, not to merit or justify ourselves, not to merit God's favor, but to live in obedience to him. At a Bible study not too long ago at the Dale, we talked for an hour and a half about lying. Because it really matters what it means to lie, if we want to love our brother. And what it means to tell the truth. And as we build upon this foundation, realize that this will never change. You cannot love someone by violating the law, no matter what your intent is. But, our intent and our heart does matter. Because even though we can separate our mind where we know God's law and our hearts where we feel and desire in discussion, that's a lot harder to do in real life. And that's not God's desire to separate them. God wants the whole man, the whole woman to love. God does not want us to be like the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus said, do as the Pharisees say. They truly knew the law and they taught the law so that others could live in obedience to it. But no one would ever say that the Pharisees actually ever loved anybody. Other than themselves, that is. So love is never, ever less than obedience to the law, but it is more. Perhaps some of you were getting worried here where I was going with the first point, because you all remember in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus clearly condemns the Pharisees and all like them who seek after outward obedience alone, but are truly whitewashed tombs. Pure and clean looking on the outside, but inside are full of death. And of course, my purpose is not to contradict or attempt to contradict our Lord, but simply, in this first point, I want to remind us that our obedience, and therefore our love, must never be less than external. We can't commit the, the fatal error that our world has done that says what's into, inside matters more than what we do externally. 
Again, the husband who leaves his wife is justified because to his heart he must be true. We cannot swing to that extreme, and we can't swing back to the Pharisees who prize the external obedience overall. We must be the whole, the complete men and women that we have been created to be, who love in deed and in thought and in word and in our hearts. We must love one another and treat each other as more important than ourselves. We must govern ourselves and our attitudes. And actually, this is perhaps a radical thought. Actually think about other people. This is not our default. It's not my default. Let's get real here, brothers and sisters. How much of your time do you spend thinking about yourself? And compare that to how much time you spend thinking about others. And not thinking about others in some way to criticize or to tear them down, but to think about them in a positive sense, thinking about what is good for them, what is best for them. If you would love your neighbor, you must think about them. Listen to what Paul says in, to the church in Colossae. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Listen to all these amazing and beautiful and difficult things Paul says we should do if we are to love. We're to have compassionate hearts. We think of our brothers and sisters with compassion, seeking to think their thoughts and feel their feelings so that we can love them better. We're to be kind. We're to be meek and humble. Thinking about ourselves less and about others more. We are to be patient, long-suffering, and to bear with one another. Again, this can't happen if you're only thinking about yourself. When I think about myself, first and foremost, what you're going through doesn't matter. And of course, this doesn't mean that we become doormats. But when I'm thinking about you, it's a lot harder to throw a temper tantrum at some perceived or even real slight. Because love binds us all together. Brothers and sisters, is this your goal? Yeah, I found this concept very difficult to try and teach, especially to children. When I talk to my kids about this, because I don't want them to come to believe that they are not important. That they don't matter. Because their desires matter. Their rights matter. Absolutely. They must know that they are valuable, that they are precious. But when there's a blow-up about who gets this toy, or who had it first, it's almost always just a class of selfishness. It's me thinking about me versus you thinking about you. And that typically leads to a lot of sparks. Part of this response is to tell them that, yes, your rights and your feelings matter, but love covers a multitude of sins. And to try and get them to see that it isn't worth a fight over something like a toy. Because they should be thinking of the other person. 
as more important. How many of you have seen conflict in the church that is little different from this? How many conflicts in the church could be overlooked or could be avoided if the victim of, again, some perceived or real slight or sin would stop and think about the other person? Theologians call this the judgment of charity. When I sin against you, it's easy for me to just say I was having a bad day and to make an excuse for myself. But when you sin against me, it's because you're out to get me. I'm capable of a mistake, but no one else is. It's all premeditated, all malicious. Well, that's not our example. Instead, we should have the judgment of charity, the judgment of agape. That I actually think about you. There could be a million explanations for what you did, and it's almost a guarantee that malice is not one of them. Because peace rules in our hearts, and the love of Christ binds us together. But I can't do this if I'm stuck in my head and thinking only of my little self. I act to actually put on things like patience and forbearance and compassion and think about you. You've heard the golden rule, of course. I've heard a few different versions of it. The version that I grew up with was that you should treat others the way you want to be treated. You should be giving others the same forbearance and patience and consideration that you want everyone else to be giving you. Brothers and sisters, this is love. We treat each other lawfully, and we consider one another as in what is in their best interest. We hold each other up and consider what the other person is more important than ourselves. We live a life of service to each other. Now, remember, this. up to this point, we're talking about the old commandment. This is what it means to love your neighbor. This is what the law requires. This is what you owe, not just to the person sitting next to you in this church, but this is what you owe to your neighbor. This is what you owe to everyone that you encounter in the world, to your co-workers, to the person you run in at the grocery store. This is all what is assumed and understood and in the background as we turn back to John 13. I won't be so bold as to speak for my Lord, but perhaps he could have said, you already must love your neighbor according to the law of God, and therefore you all must already be considering what is in your neighbor's best interest. But I'm giving you a new commandment, something on top of that. That just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We have to do more than what I've already said this morning. Let's consider the context of John chapter 13. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. John, in this gospel, does not record the institution of the Lord's Supper, but that has just happened, and Judas has been dismissed. But we've got to think about the context. Back at the beginning of this chapter, the Lord does something shocking. After the supper, the Lord washes his disciples' feet. Have you lost the sense of awe at what the story tells us? The God of the universe, the Holy One of all creation, the Creator who has already condescended to take on flesh, 
who has already lived 33 or so years of pain and suffering in this life, the night before he was betrayed, with the full knowledge of the torment and terror that he was about to undergo, performed an act reserved for the lowest of the low slaves and servants. I find our modern nicely pedicured and shoe-protected feet to be gross. The God of the universe cleaned the disgusting, sandal-shorn feet of men who rarely bathed and who walked around the desert. This imagery should shock you. Jesus loved his disciples by considering them and treating them as more important than himself and by serving them in one of the most visually stunning ways that they could have imagined. Peter isn't just being Peter when he objects to the foot washing. He was the only one that we have recorded anyway that saw this for how amazing it is. This is how Jesus loved them, by cleansing them. And we know that even this was just a foreshadowing of what was about to come. In verse 31, Jesus says that his work is so close to being complete, it's basically complete. The Son of Man is glorified, and the Father glorified in him. And in the way he just showed them, by washing their feet, and in the way he's about to show them, by dying for their sins, that's how you and I are to love. Now, in a sermon like this, it's easy to feel the weight of the law. What I'm telling you is law. There's no question about it. But it's the law for us who obey the law out of gratitude. We obey out of gratitude for what has been done, and not to earn our justification or our standing with God. Our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross because we are sinners by nature, and he died to redeem us from the curse of the law. He became the curse of the law. We can't love in that way to the fullest, of course. We haven't lived the sinless life that he did. He alone has died once for all for our sins, and he alone has freed us from the weight and curse of the law. But remember, he has done that so that even the command to love should not be a burden to us. For even here we see that same message of obedience from gratitude for what he has done for us. The way he loved us, that's the way we love. He loved us, so let us love our brothers and sisters. Not out of compulsion, but gladly. Because this highest level really requires the most of us. To consider my neighbor as more important than me is hard, but even that doesn't exact too high of a cost. But what Jesus says is that I need to be willing to die for you. That I need to be willing to wash your feet. That I need to be willing to give myself to you. This is more than what the law requires, which is why it's new. And it isn't easy, but it's what the world should see. The forbearance and love that we show to our neighbors, times a hundred, times a million. I know that we've been jumping around a lot today, I apologize. I'm going to read one more passage out of Philippians. 
Hear Paul, what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Look to the interests of others. Again, this is love according to the law. This is the fullest and deepest understanding of what the law requires. It's never less than that, but it's more. All goes on. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hear what our Lord did for us. Emptying himself. And tell me that to give of yourself is too much to ask. This is the highest love. To give of ourselves. We will never be able to give as much as he did. But when we attempt it, it's obvious to all. I don't give too much credit to the world. Those outside of Christ are blind in their sin. And though I won't claim to have lived a perfect life since becoming a Christian, no one has ever come up to me and said, what makes you different? The world isn't impressed when I try and imperfectly at that to resist the world. But you know what I have heard? That they don't understand why we give so much. They don't understand why a person would open their home for months to their sister who was literally kicked out on the curb. I can't help but say this without tearing up a little bit because this actually happened at Coromdale. They don't understand why we give such a large portion of our lives, of our income, to serve the needs of the church. They don't understand why we give our time. They don't understand where we give ourselves. They can see this. Turns out the Lord wasn't kidding when he said that they'll know we are his disciples when we love in this way. This is life and love in the church. This is how we ought to love. I hope and pray that you have experienced this here in this body and that you go forward loving more fully and deeply, that you would study the law not of, of rote obedience or fear of punishment, but because you love your neighbor and think of them, that you would consider each other as more important than yourself and treat all that you meet and encounter with kindness and compassion, but that most of all that you would give of yourselves. If you are still outside of Christ, this is all out of your reach. You must repent and believe if you are to experience this. But I'm sure that even the one who is outside of Christ can see this, and can see that this is good. 
So let us give of ourselves, brothers and sisters, as the Lord taught us, and let us give him all the glory for what he has done blazing this trail for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love because you loved us first. For if not for you, we would be lost. But you have loved us, and you have created us to live and be conformed to your image. And so conform us in your love, that we would love well, and that there would be no burden on us, because we can love freely, not out of compulsion, but because you have loved us. And to give freely, even of ourselves, so that you, above all, will get the glory. Amen. Amen.